Hello, Tom here, host of the podcast. I just wanted to pop in before we start to let you know that some of the themes discussed in this episode are uh, a little bit more serious than normal, uh, including a quite frank discussion of uh, the suicide of one of the characters in this episode. As with all of these big issues, we tried our absolute best to do the issue justice, with the caveat that we are woefully unqualified to talk about anything more serious than Brett Aspinall's tie choices. So that's just a little content warning at the start to let you know that those big issues are going to be discussed in the next hour. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of Everything From Nothing, the Waterloo Road podcast. My name is Tom Beasley. I am your Waterloo Road super fan and I'm joined by Luke Stevenson, who this week, I'm not even going to ask whether you're a fan yet because I know the answer. (laughs) I was going to ask whether you were a fan. (laughs) I feel like this episode is going to be your episode seven. (laughs) But like my episode, my episode seven was because the episode didn't mean anything. This episode is just, oh. Choices have been made. I choices, think it's fair to say. Choices have been made. I, I was thinking about this. Do you reckon if someone made this episode of television this year and put it out into the world, do you reckon the show would survive? <sighs> I mean, put this episode, like... I mean, 13 Reasons Why ran to several seasons. Yeah, and after they had their cake and ate, they've now eaten it by deleting all of the problematic scenes in yeah. the show. Um, uh, so, uh, do I think the show would survive it? Yes. Do I think the show would be thought of as fondly as this was at the time? No. <laughs> I think it would. there would be a contingent of people who would watch it anyway, and a sizable contingent of people who would write it off as absolute horrible garbage trash. Yeah. It's troubling. It tries the, like, to... the, the thing that sh- shows are now not allowed to make big missteps on major issues. And that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, but like, I, think, I, think they can make mis- I think they can make missteps if they're coming from the right place. Like, it's like they're having a conversation about it, you know, whereas this is not doing that. What, what happens here is not built in any conversation around the topic itself. It is, once again, using the topic of suicide for a plot. Yes. So, um, and and as, as you know, we are on a pretty even trajectory of talking about this once every half dozen episodes or so. It's, we are, every six episodes, there is a suicide attempt. Yes. In this show. Which, I, it's... To me, I think it's the greatest symbol, the greatest symbol that the writers don't really have a handle on things. No, if, if it's happening once every half dozen episodes, you're using it as a crutch. Yeah. Which, it's, like, it's both bad writing and it's just very, you know, very problematic. <laughs> yes. So let's, let's talk about the episode. Um, it opens with Tom fishing his stuff out of the skip. Um, Where did the skip come from? <laughs> does does Tom know the person who has the permit for the skip? Maybe. Do you need permits for a skip? I've never had a skip. I'm not that adult. No, you don't, yeah. I don't think you need a permit. You definitely need to rent one. Yeah, you, you, yeah. You, well, like a man, with, a man or woman with a van comes yeah. and drops the skip on your front garden. Yeah. Yeah, I, re- I remember because the football team I used to play for as a teenager were sponsored by a company called Need a Skip. 
So that's what we had emblazoned all over our t-shirts. <laughs> we had so I played foot, football for a team in Newquay. So we had obviously surfboards. a, surf, a yes. surfboard <laughs> company that was called uh, Tunnel Vision. You all, we had, uh, you, you all ran onto the pitch to the strains of the Beach Boys. <laughs> yeah, my my earliest one though, so like the one that I mentioned in last week's episode where I had the mohawk and I was going to send the pictures that could be used on the Instagram, is the um, it was like Kalak Associates. I have no idea what that was. <laughs> I remember once our team needed an away kit. We'd never had an away kit before. Turned it inside so, out. No, our um, coach just went and bought a load of Juventus shirts from the nearest sports shop. They weren't real authentic ones. They were oh, like okay. knockoff ones. Yeah. But they weren't official Juventus merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> As I say, he just goes and splashes 50 quid each on a shirt. <laughs> Disgraceful. <laughs> Okay, so Tom is fishing his stuff out of the skip. That's where we were 20 minutes where ago. Where did the permit come from? <laughs> um, they're, they're playing sad music by Athlete, which is what they do in this episode constantly. But as he picks up a Stereophonics album. I know. It's, and there's, there's a is, that what, is that what happens when you purchase, a st- when you have your Stereophonics album destroyed, you are downgraded to Athlete? <laughs> I think that is what happens. There's a reference later in the episode to another of his CDs that's gone missing. I can't remember which one it is. No. Um, but it's it's, but it's you, not it's not athlete. It's fair to say. Would you get in the bin to get your stuff back? No, I wouldn't. No, there'd be too many people looking at me. I got too much pride. Especially was, at like a big skip. Yeah, it's just it's sad. Yes, it's. I know his whole situation is sad, but like that is sad. Yeah. Um. So we have um. There's a, there's a Tom and Izzy row, obviously, because there's always a Tom and Izzy row. What does he uh, give her? I can't remember. Because he takes something out of the tip and walks over it. It looks like a lampshade to me. <laughs> but then he kind of says, oh, you weren't the one craving... I wasn't the one... I bought it for you. I wasn't the one craving mint choc chip ice cream. I was like, what did you give her? What is that? Is that an ice cream maker? Who knows? No, it wasn't big enough. Who knows? Um, meanwhile, Lorna has been researching her symptoms and she's meeting with her doctor who says it's not helpful that she's um, researching symptoms. Um, she does mention that she's struggling sleeping and so he prescribes her a load of sleeping pills. Um, first of all, like, it takes about seven episodes from her diagnosis for a doctor to clearly sit down and say that this condition is manageable. Yeah. Which is good. I can imagine, you know, people at the time, people with... MS and the MS like societies and charities must have been watching this show and tearing their hair out because yes, it's only at this point that someone you know because imagine like watching an earlier episode of this show and then meeting someone the next day who has MS and then just be like oh my god I am I'm just so sorry and you know it is it's a you know well I, you know they I have because they announce it to you in the middle of a pub during a celebration yeah <laughs> yeah I can't speak to it I don't have it and I don't know anyone closely with me who has had it but you know from what you read and what the kind of you know, what we've like researched for this is that it is a manageable condition. What they yes. tell you about this being manageable is correct, but the way the show treats it is that it absolutely isn't. And it, tell, it takes seven episodes for someone to check this. Also, another, another medical point, I don't believe a doctor who has a total medical history and would have seen that she was on antidepressants after she tried to kill herself would just will, like, wildly prescribe her some very, very high dosage sleeping pills. I think you're absolutely right on that. I think that's a very odd thing that happens. It's just... It, it, nothing's that easy because like you can buy sleeping pills over the counter. Yes. You don't need medical grade sleeping pills for a bit of struggling to sleep. You can buy them over the counter. So it's, oh, yeah. 
yeah, it's a struggle. Um, we get one of the, the, I suppose, lighter subplots of this episode at this point, where we find out that um, Brett has class, left... Class warfare. Brett, Brett has left... Yeah, well, that's a mark of this episode, isn't it? <laughs> so Brett has left chocolates in Mika's locker. Um, she's not amused, A, by the fact that he broke into her locker, and B, because he seems to think that he needs to spend money on her at every turn, and she's worried how this will go down with her decidedly less well-off than his family. Um... Uh... First of all, I'm glad that someone has finally started acknowledging that, like, in teen movies, lots of boys break into things. Yes. It's like, at the, at the end of 10 Things I Hate About You, he breaks into her car to give her a guitar. Rhyming. Um, <laughs> and I'm always just like, why is she just like, oh, I love you, you common criminal? Oh, well, teen, American teen movies as well normalize the climbing into a girl's bedroom at night while her... <laughs> Yeah, thing, which is uh, yeah, not not good. Don't don't do that. No, that's not no. that's not romantic. That's that's a, a crime. It is, and it hurts your arms. <laughs> Say that like you climbed into a lot of. I'm, I'm just imagining, like, as a man with very little upper body strength, the ease <laughs> with which all of these people manage to climb into. Maybe that's why you've never been cast as a teen heartthrob. Yeah, that's why. It's, it's all to do with your upper body strength. It's not because of my uh, my doughy frame. <laughs> I'm not old enough looking for a heartthrob yet. <laughs> Need to look at least 30. Yeah. Um, so uh, Davina has passed her, um, her um, they're a DBS check now rather than CRB. And so she's going to be a teaching assistant. Jack continues for some reason to be very opposed to this. Yeah, I don't, I suppose it's not like they have something where he's just like, he calls her in and they get to do it in his office no. all the time. Like, not like that's the only reason you'd want to have her around. Obviously, there's an emotional connection there. But, like, she's still in the same school, in the same building. Yeah. I don't understand what any of his objection... It's just objection for the sake of having an objection, isn't it? It is, it's, yes. It's to create the, the tension for what comes later. Indeed. As if what comes later is not enough of a tension creator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say, it's pretty... <laughs> it's pretty bad as things go. Um. So uh, Lorna goes into her class. The kids have found out that she's ill. Um, they've uh, got her a card with all sorts of uh, messages telling her to get well soon. Um, Chloe sees that Lorna is, is you know, um, struggling with this emotionally. And so she tries to distract her with Catcher in the Rye. And I, mean, I don't know if you've read Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. It is one of the most infuriatingly terrible books I've ever read in my life. Ooh, Edgelord. <laughs> That's like... You know, most like most men no, our age. Holden Caulfield is the edge lord. <laughs> most most men our age have um, a catcher in the right tattoo on one nipple. It's, this is what I and mean. a Fight Club tattoo on the other and nipple. That's why I hate it. <laughs> why like, is it still held up as a literary classic? It's just no story. You just spend all your time with this infuriating character you want to strangle. So I don't think we want to get too much into the weeds about Catcher in the Rye. I believe <laughs> the reason it's held, like, I think it was the first of its kind to deal with the idea of alienation in teenagers, which is a real thing. But now we associate alienation in teenagers with playing Fortnite, getting radicalized on YouTube and threatening to blow up a Star Wars screen. Yes. So that, that you know, it, it's a long journey from capturing the ride there, but it's a journey that we associate with it. Yeah. So it's Lorna, fine. <laughs> Lorna steps out of the classroom um, and immediately the kids start speculating about her symptoms, um, uh, which kind of seems to push her over the edge. She leaves the, the school. The thing, the thing about that is that she's Googled stuff online 
Yeah. She's then spoken to a medical professional. Yeah. She then overhears some teenagers totally misdiagnose everything about the condition. And then she goes, yeah. that's it. It's too real for me. This is a step too far. I'm yeah. walking out. And it's like, what do you do? Just, just listen to experts. This is pre-Gove. We listen to experts. <laughs> Before we'd had enough of them. This was um, the Adonis era, I think. <laughs> um, so yeah, Lorna leaves. Uh, the classroom immediately descends into anarchy. Um, Dante, I would not, I would not have suited. Dante does the 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 you know the classic comedy thing of putting a bin on his head for some reason. Yeah, that get, gets the kids going. Every, everyone else in the class thinks it's genius. So yeah, um, there was a, there was an earlier line from Dante that I really appreciate, which was my highlight of the episode, which is like Lorna gives them a task around like using their imagination to like write a diary from the perspective of something like every day yeah and um dante turns to chloe and says you think dogs ever want to have a lie-in <laughs> i think that really he tickled is, me <laughs> in many ways a philosopher <laughs> so he's a philosophizer <laughs> um yes dante uh yeah he's got a bit on his head uh, andrew comes in um uh yeah we'll try to find out what's going on they say that um miss dickie has has gone um, it turns out she's in her car listening to Street Map by Athlete. More Athlete. It's a big week for them. Possibly the it? biggest week in Athlete's history, to be honest. <laughs> Other than They're... the week Wires came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, those two weeks when Wires came out. <laughs> uh, also, what does Trenman think insolent means? Because, <laughs> like, Don... He says, what are you doing? Don Jason Vinov says, Miss Thomas, use our, inf- um, our imagination. Says, Don't be so insolent. I was like, what? That's... Not what you want to say here. <laughs> He's angry. Just say shut up. <laughs> I think the most extreme thing I ever heard a teacher say, which was clearly a teacher who was um, like so angry that she couldn't um, like get words out properly, is she told a child when who she was yelling at, "Don't smirk, or you will be losing your liberty." And I was, like, what power do you possess? <laughs> It would have been that police van from the last episode showing up. <laughs> yeah. It was funny because it was like, it was like my A-level English class. And it's like one of those things where it was one, like the head of English and literally was when other teachers couldn't deal with someone, they would bring them in for her to yell at. So she would just be perfectly pleasant with us. And then she'd be pleasant. Someone, someone knock on the door, they could bring a child in and she'd just go over, scream at them for 40 seconds and then just turn around and be fine. Return to Te- your copy of Catcher in the Rye. Teachers are psychopaths. <laughs> There are many, many good teachers. Unions are a good thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you don't let them go to the toilet, you're a fascist. <laughs> so Andrew goes for um, uh, to go and see Kim and Jack. They're having a crisis about English staffing. Andrew is worried about their staffing in the English department. Yeah, how are they, how are they, supposed, to, how are they supposed to cover the classes with 48 teacher, children remaining? It's, it's crazy. Um, Kim at this point does one of her trademark rants about the government addressing... They're kind of like, even on this side, they, they just dropped the pretense, is you have Jack's... It's just like a really clear visual metaphor, is you have Jack, the teacher, sitting in the middle trying to get it done, and then you have Kim yelling about the structural inequ- like, ineffectiveness of the school system, and on the other side, Andrew saying these teachers should care more about their jobs. And it's just like... Ugh. Just stop, like, stop picking two sides, just having the same debate for four. Like, if you're going to have the debate, like, you know, 
as a, as a keen fan of the West Wing, they made whole episodes out of just picking two sides of a debate and hashing it out for 40 minutes. It was great. Yeah. But in this show, they're like, right, let's do it for 18 seconds. <laughs> be annoyed at both of the participants afterwards and then just piss off. Um, so Jack suggests that Davina can cover the staffing shortfall. Um, she goes to work in um, Tom's class. He's got a d- sort of double class of mixed year group. Um, she immediately makes a breakthrough with one of the kids, teaching him how to spell rhythm. And suddenly Tom wants Davina to be a fully fledged teacher. The bar at this school. <laughs> this, I have so many questions about this scene. So like Tom is practicing, for, he has the children's practicing for a spelling bee. Where yes. is this set? <laughs> There has never been a spelling bee in the history of the UK. Yeah, did you did you have a spelling bee during your no. years of schooling, which was during this time? No. I, I can't imagine that the students of Waterloo Road are particularly into competitive spelling. She's <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. And then also for all of the unbelievable nonsense in this show, both before and after this moment, a teenage boy yelling out to a teacher that he can spell a word would just not happen. Like, as chuffed as he is, and I know, like, they really want to hammer home the point that Davina is making a breakthrough. But, like, again, this boy is not Jack (laughs) O'Connell. But, like, last week, when a teacher made a breakthrough, you just saw it on the child's face. This week, they have the child yell to his other teacher, saying, I can now spell a word, which he hasn't actually spelled. (laughs) She's told him how to spell it, and he looks up and goes, I can spell this word now, which is like, yeah. Someone can explain to me how stocks work. It doesn't mean I can go become a stockbroker. Tom, to be fair, reacts exactly how you'd expect someone to react to that situation. He sort of goes, yeah, that's nice. He goes, back, goes back to his autobiography of Gareth Southgate that he's he reading. <laughs> every man who just doesn't care, isn't he? <laughs> he's like, um, mate, I was, pit- I was fin- fishing my stuff out of a skip this morning. I don't care what you can and can't spell. <laughs> um, we get a scene in Steph's class where she makes a Jim will fix it reference, which is... That's not gone well. That's not gone well. And that's immediately before she suggests Davina is an abuser. Yeah, yeah. not good. Not good. Mm. Um, um, so class warfare continues at this point over the incredible battleground of pot noodles. Yeah. But like also, like, Brett doesn't help himself by seeing a pot noodle and says, let's go to Thailand. Yeah, that's the like, first thing he does. The, the, the shorter thing is, let's get a Thai takeaway. <laughs> yes. Which will cost about eight quid a person. It ain't that much right um but i just i find it so like odd that mika's just like so militant on this i mean i don't i don't know right i i went to a school full of you know from what i was understood pretty comfortably middle class kids right so maybe i don't kind of you know i definitely had a sheltered lifestyle from you know clear divisions in what people have and have not um but i i just didn't expect teenagers to be so like aware and conscious of it and also just so like Militant of it. She was like, you're not spending your money, you're spending your dad's money. But it's like, Mika, whose money do you spend? I think the thing is, like, I think because Brett is very clearly an interloper, like he's not supposed to be at this school. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and, and we've it's been established that um, uh, Mika, Chloe and Izzy are really close as a family unit. And so it obviously really matters to Mika what her mum thinks. Because um, obviously she's seen, you know, how, how little Izzy approves of Dante for fairly reasonable reasons um you know the, the death death, death. <laughs> what's uh, what's brett ever done had sex with an adult yeah oh, <laughs> as things go um so yeah i think i think mika's concerned about you know because izzy's a very down-to-earth person you know she likes stereophonic cds and 
men who, men who appreciate Gareth Southgate. Yeah, the dividing line for Mika and Brett seems to be about what food they have and that they don't get food brought in. Have we ever seen them have a meal which was not fish and chip takeaway? Yes, when Tom, cook, when Tom cooks his chilli. Well, we all know what happens when Tom cooks. <laughs> hey, everyone enjoyed the chilli. The chilli was not the problem. The chilli was too good, if I may. <laughs> Yeah, so um, Davina then comes in at this point because Steph has implied that to Davina that she knows about Brett. Um, Davina confronts them. Mika admits that she let it slip and that, that she told um, Steph inadvertently. Um, Brett dismisses it, says Jack won't believe, quote, stalker Haydock. How does Brett know that? No, there's, there's no reason. Does all, Brett all, of the kids, all of the kids seem to know everything. So there was a line uh, a few episodes ago where um, there's something where Mika says to... Or, or someone says to Steph, aren't you still chasing after Mr. Rimmer? Um, yeah, it's like, how... All the kids know that Lorna's got MS. Yeah, That's it not feels clear like why either. All of the kids watch Waterloo Road in their yeah, spare time. Yeah. <laughs> it's very better. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way that, like... Because Brett, this this whole stalker Haydock thing precedes Brett being in the school. It does, yeah. So he's referencing a sexual encounter I had two years ago. In fairness, Steph's not subtle about it, including in front of the kids. So it's possible that the the kid rumor mill is a lot about Steph wanting to get on Mr. Rimmer. Yeah, but the rumor who I heard again wanted to get on with anyone. <laughs> so how was your lesson with Miss Haydock today? She kept smacking her ass again. Um, so Lorna, we see she's gone off to a spa. Um, she turns up back at school. Um, having Best had, like Cruella Deville. Yeah, having had a sort of strange glam makeover, um, she doesn't seem to care that she's caused great problems at the school. They're down to eighty-six English teachers for the day. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. Um, and, oh, she well, just, they and she just declares that she's quitting and that she's not going to work her notice, and that, that's that. I mean, more power, but like you know. That's what being union gets you. Union gets you out of your notice periods. Um, so we go back to Jack and Davina. Jack calls his phone a Moby, which I found really unpleasant. Yeah. He says, why didn't you call me on the Moby? Yeah. Has, it, has his phone been writing weird things about Natalie Portman in its autobiography? <laughs> 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 Yeah, no one, no one wants that. Um, <laughs> Davina tells Jack that that um, that she might be becoming a, a higher level TA and that she wants to become a teacher. Um, she goes. Steph turns up, tells Jack all about the Davina and Brett situation. Um, he kicks off and goes mad at her. Steph says, "You've had your last favor off me," which I don't think she believes. Like the thing I find really odd is that Jack yells at Steph the truth about how she's been after him for years and yeah. Steph is like that is insane when have I ever made such a suggestion other than like always but yeah we've talked about this over the course of the series it just feels like the Steph thing is a is like a thing for the show to remember when it wants to yeah the whole, like their their quote-unquote relationship doesn't really exist and in it you're kind of meant to think of Jack as the bad guy when Steph is just kind of both like on some at some points just completely ignoring any relationship they may or may not have and at some points is just insanely jealous of everything 
Yeah, we then get perhaps the most Jack Rimmer moment in the history of the show where he snaps a pen with his bare hands. Yeah. Because he's so angry. He's a man. He's I a once, man and he's angry. I once absentmindedly smashed a wine glass in my bare hands. <laughs> I, think, I think I was thinking of High School Musical at the time as well. I it just a, love Zac Efron so it much. Was, it was at a table and people were discussing something. And I think I had a high school anecdote, high school musical anecdote to share. And then my, this class just shattered in my hands. Was, was then, your head too much in the game? <laughs> and then like everyone stopped. And then I looked and I just had blood all over my hands. And then I just started laughing maniacally because it was just so... I, like, I think I was like half cut at the time as well, but like I just had this glass uh, just half, shattered. Half cut from the wine or the blood loss? <laughs> Both. <laughs> but yeah, that's why I don't drink wine. Nasty stuff. Yeah, I've never seen you drink wine ever the whole time I've was, known you. It was only it was in this setting where basically every night at dinner, this like for this like three weeks, they would just give you wine and there was no other alcohol anywhere. And because it was with people I don't know, I'm not going to like be myself. So I'm going to <laughs> drink alcohol. And you thought so a I... high school musical anecdote was a good idea. <laughs> Should have heard it. Those people never did. <laughs> I had a great anecdote about blood on my hands, though. So, so uh, Lorna then uh, parent traps Izzy and Tom, uh, mm-hmm. uh, arranges for them both to go with her to this um, sort of cottage lodge type thing in the countryside because it's about to be the half-term break and Lorna apparently cares about half-terms despite the fact she's just given up teaching. Yep. But like, it's so weird as well because it, I know, at this point in the story, it looks like she's trying to get them back together. I think that's kind of, you know, but it's so clear that Tom agrees to this so that they can have sex again. They never, discuss, they never discuss the fact that they had sex. I don't know. No, maybe because Tom Lorna, just spent ages Lorna, in the shower afterwards. Yeah, Lorna just assumes they're back together, mm-hmm. and Tom is too busy arguing with Izzy to even think about whether they're together. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think it's just but not like, a scenario that's been hashed out. Weeks have passed in Waterloo Road time. Weeks have passed, but they're still staying in the same place. So are they sleeping together every night? Was that just once, and they're on the sofa now? This is just. This is layers. These are layers that could actually enhance the storytelling. Yeah, the fact is, the, the story doesn't care because the story knows where it's going. Uh, and so do I. Yeah. Um, so I think at this point, because it, it does its standard Waterloo Road thing of splitting off into a number of incredibly tonally disparate stories. Um, yeah. Let's <laughs> uh, take so them one at a time. Let's take them one at a time. So um, we, we will handle, um, let's handle Jack and Davina first yeah let's break it up in the middle with brett and mika because i think that's quite light and i have some comments about brett's tie yeah Um, sure let's let's do that um so jack uh he very stubbornly refuses to tell davina what's wrong with him even though he's grumping around because something's (laughs) wrong um uh so eventually he does uh davina um denies everything that's happened um so jack resolves that steph haydock has been spreading vicious gossip and so should be sacked from her post he very angrily dictates a letter to davina um binning steph and uh they go off together to post it but davina doesn't want to post it no guilt 
also She's like Davina's ability like to immediately lie under that amount of stress was just like admirable especially considering how badly she lied a few weeks ago when Brett was sending her gifts yeah and like, she said oh my crazy friend Tracy <laughs> <laughs> yeah nothing happened between me and Brett it happened between Brett and my crazy friend Tracy <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> also I just love the confidence of like when he's like Brett's got a thing for you and she's like yeah him and half the sick form which is also like it's both confident and it's very understated because in my view it's him and half the nation <laughs> we don't for need a, to know about your Davina Shackleton shrine we really for a, don't for a glorious spring in 2006 or 7 whenever this was <laughs> the nation was in love with Davina <laughs> um so yeah, they have a, they go to a takeaway. Um, Davina reveals that she didn't post the letter uh, to Steph, um, admits to Jack um, the truth of what happened. Uh, Jack drives her back to their house. He says um, to Davina to go and get her stuff because he wants her, her out of his house. Right. What do you think of this? What do you think of it? <laughs> like, they are... It feels like this is a story they constructed without knowing how it ended. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that any deception in a soap always has to be revealed. Yeah. And as soon as this deception was revealed, there is no way the relationship could continue. Yeah. The thing, like, I, I kind of quite appreciated it because, like, the facts of the case, as we seem to know it, is that Brett was of legal age. Yes, he as far was as we in, know. Yeah, he was in a club which was for 18s and over. She did not know him. She did not work in a school and she did not know that he was a student. So by that logic, while obviously it's icky and it shouldn't have happened, like nothing, nothing that would have made her fireable happened, right? Because no. it all happened pre the thing. Yes. So I kind of found it quite interesting in watching this as kind of like a view on like fragile and toxic masculinity. Because... Jack is like, he takes the issue with, it's because you didn't tell me. He says, what happened isn't the problem is, you know, that you lied. That's the problem. And we but all it's, know it's because it's it, Brett. It's because it's, it's Brett. Yeah. It's like, if it was Dante, it would have been like, you know, he's a bad driver, <laughs> but I'm all right with it. Yeah, as long as he didn't drive you home, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but it's because it's Brett. And I found that like quite interesting. Um, but I feel like that was me adding text to it rather than it being in the text, which is just, you know, you must leave, you're in the wrong. Because I'm not, obviously I don't agree with what happened, and especially what happened afterwards. So I suppose the fact that something carried on between yes. her and Brett after the fact is where the kind of, a lot of the problems are. But the kind of initial thing that started all of it, from a kind of clinical, legal, societal perspective, it seems fine. Um, and then it's just kind of like up to your own personal judgment, really, about whether you're all right with it. Yeah, um, it did. Yeah, the thing, the fact it did then continue in some yeah. way, shape, or form, even if it was never what it was the first time. Yeah, um, she the, she at least entertained the possibility of it. Yeah, but the thing for Jack is it's not it's not because it happened because you know who is Jack to throw stones? Quite at, as as at, Tom Clarkson pointed out a few episodes ago. Yeah, yeah. Jack <laughs> seems to take a very hard line in this episode on people who get drunk in clubs and have sex with people who aren't quite their age. <laughs> like, Jack has been convinced he's done that before. It's because of who it is. Yeah. And, and um, a lot of the anger here is because Jack, for all that we, you know, go on about, he actually does love Davina. 
Yeah. Uh, and so... A flaming he, feminist claptrap. Yeah, but he can't get past the fact that because, he, because he's a fragile man, he feels like the fact it's Brett is a direct attack on him. Yeah. And he cannot what? stand for that. One thing I do appreciate is there's like when Jack gets told, there's like the pan on his face. <laughs> it's just like, it's very cool. <laughs> um, question I have, why is it only fish and chips and Chinese restaurants that merge? So the, re- the restaurant they've gone to, the takeaway, not a restaurant, let's, let's be honest. It's not a restaurant, um, yeah. Let's <laughs> not be grandiose. <laughs> um, is like, it's a fish and chip and Chinese takeaway, okay? Yeah. I've only ever seen fish and chip and Chinese places merge. I've never seen anything else. Why is that? No, there must be some like some Indian restaurants where you can also get fish and chips, right? No, that's just not a thing. You can use, you can sometimes get chips at an Indian. Yeah, but that's for it's for people who don't like curries. <laughs> that's for people like Jack Rimmer. <laughs> you, yeah, he definitely goes into an Indian restaurant and get, and has chips. Definitely. Yeah. I remember like our uh, our favoured um, Indian restaurant in Newquay. Um, they like used to have on the menu right in the back, right at the bottom, was just like chicken and chips. Yeah. <laughs> just with "if you must" written next to it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's because, like, I think it's because a lot of Chinese takeaways are just takeaways, so it's easier mm. to kind of put all of it into the kitchen. Whereas um, a lot of Indian takeaways are also um, restaurants. I remember there was a place in Bournemouth, and you used to be able to order these fish and chips, and the fish and the chips were the biggest thing you'd ever <laughs> seen in your entire life. You'd order a medium, you'd have like a plate stacked up a good few inches high of chips, and then you'd put the fish on top. See, and right, the thing, so the thing with fish and chips from any sort of takeaway, right, is whatever your preconceptions of what the fish will be, it's always four times the size of that. Yeah, there are some... <laughs> it's, it's like, I think once I went to a fish and chip takeaway where I saw a small fish, and I was just like, no, no, no. From now on, I order large. Yeah. Like, no, everywhere... one, no one has ever ordered fish and chips and gone, that fish is exactly the right size. <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. you always go, that's a bit big, isn't it? Every time with that phone. Um, so yes, the, the Brett storyline. Um, so uh, Brett has bought dinner for himself and, and, and Mika, or, or so we think. He's, it's under kind of fancy serving things. Um, Mika's like, oh no, you've, you've you know, brought some fancy meal in. Um, it turns out that what he's actually done is he's made beans and toast because he gets it now. Yeah, he understands. <laughs> <laughs> this is your level, I understand now. You like to eat crap. <laughs> ah, yes, what the paupers have. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, that's just odd. Like, you know, Mika, Mika says they aren't as well off as Brett, which is fine because no one's as well off as Brett. No, he's definitely the wealthiest family in Rochdale. Yeah, but she still lived in a household with two teachers with full like salaries and stuff like that. She's better off than a lot of people around her. Yeah. So like, she knows what food is. Yeah. Like, like as, as we've established on the continuum of your house dictates your class in Waterloo Road, <laughs> they are you know in the the sort of middle suburban nice house level. Yeah, it's if the curtains are closed during the day then the house is filth. If the curtains are then, open... Then you're, then you're definitely a kid of the week. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, so I just find like... And also, beans. Beans on toast is the worst meal. That's not true. There's nothing no, wrong with beans on toast. Like, but also cold beans on toast. The, the look of this. 
Like, it's clear Brett has never made beans on toast. He's not done it properly. There is at most, at most, half of a small tin of beans on each of those slices of toast. I am, I am so anti-beans. <laughs> beans are the worst. This isn't like, you know, we always try to like preface what we say by saying we're trying really hard. We're on the right side of this. We might get it wrong. But for the love of God, you can bleed this if you like, but f- beans. <laughs> <laughs> no beans are the worst thing <laughs> in the world I, I was not prepared for the strength of your feeling brett and mika then have um brett you know in in a rare unguarded moment for him uh admits he's nervous about meeting mika's family and they do this really awkward cutesy chat about feelings over fortune cookies yeah yeah, where they kind of like fake it, and like they're they're immediately able to be eloquent yes. about fortune cookies. Like, no, I watched an hour of television. I made notes. I'm not able to be that eloquent with prep, let alone no. on the you know just like on the fly. I'm writing my own fortune cookie off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. Also, like I know I've I've gone hard on the beans, so therefore <laughs> my anger towards this might feel a little bit underserved. But Brett's tie. He wears a tie which is made out of the same fabric and pattern as his shirt. And it's just, <laughs> it's just, fil- I don't want to give fashion advice to people because it's 11 o'clock at night in summer and I'm wearing a hoodie and a cap backwards indoors. But like, Brett, come on. No amount of naughty's fashion was okay. <laughs> yeah, Brett's a... Uh... He's, he's not a fashionable man, I don't think, with his haircut like the guy from No Country for Old Men. Oh, the one who kills people? Yes. Again, I don't think, that, I don't think that's the right reference for our crowd, Tom. <laughs> it's a great film. Everyone's seen No Country for Old Men. No, they haven't. <laughs> I refuse. Right. Now we've got to do it. Don't, I don't want to do this. We've got to do it. Right. So um, Tom and Lorna arrive at the lodge. Um, they've bought loads of food for the, the weekend. It's all from Waitrose or Marks and Spencers. Who are these people? It's so posh. It's incredible. And, and like that lodge. So I've like, full disclosure, I have stayed in some sort of holiday lodge type places. It's one of me and my other half's favourite types of holiday. That is the poshest one I have ever seen in my life. It's posh. But it's up north, Tom. It's up north and it's pre-Airbnb. They probably paid tuppence for it. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, the, the, the M&S and Waitrose, like, because no one, get, no one gets their main food shop from M&S. M&S is for bits. Everyone knows that. Yeah, like, I will get things from M&S if I'm staying in a hotel. That's what I always remember. It's around this time, I think me and my family, it was like 2005. I know it was 2005 because it was during the general election, Tony Blair's last great victory. Um, and <laughs> we went for a holiday in London. We motivation, like, motivation, motivation. <laughs> um, and we stayed in a, a hotel and then a down, was, I think it was like Canary Wharf way. And they had like one of those like M&S's and we bought like the little kind of, like the wafer, circular wafer, chocolatey biscuits things. And like, that's all I associate M&S with. M&S with. It's the circular boxes of like little fudge bites and little chocolate brownie bites and stuff like that. It's not for doing all of this shopping. No. Um, so uh, Tom and Izzy resolve to, to play nice for, for Lorna once they finally meet up and they realise what's happened and that Lorna has forced them together. Um, like the thing that I don't get like... Tom is a completely different person to who he was seven episodes ago. Yes. 
like seven episodes ago, he had Lorna up against a wall, wanting him out of the house and meddling with her. And in this one, he's like rubbing her arms, saying, "You know, we're going to get through this together. I, you know, I really care for you. Let's go for a weekend away in like the countryside." Tom and Izzy are both exactly what this story needs them to be. Yeah, in the same way that in series one. Lorna was whatever that story needed exactly. to be. It's like they, they can only focus on one point of this triangle at any one time, and the others just have to become narrative pawns. Because mm-hmm. um, that's certainly what happens here. Um, so they immediately lay out this medieval banquet. <laughs> it's so much fun. And like, you see like this kind of like, it feels like a full like beef joint that's like a quarter cut through, and it's like they are three. Could... They are three average sized adults, and they're eating like Henry the Eighth. <laughs> Henry Eighth and the whole of his court. <laughs> all, just... all six of the wives at the same time. <laughs> it is just an obscene amount of food, and that's coming from me. There a man no... who will eat a large Domino's pizza on his own with sides. Yeah, what's wrong with that? <laughs> but like, the, this is just. But like, I was just thinking, like, how much of the day did you spend prepping all of this food? Because Waitrose like, and M&S as well. It would cost a fortune. It's like, all right, even if you didn't make it from scratch and it's all like pre-made, you just need to put it in the oven. You don't have eight ovens. You've been in and out of that oven every five minutes for the past four hours. <laughs> That's the and bit we didn't see on the show. <laughs> where's the long-term planning for the weekend? Have you brought the cellophane to cover it all? Or is it all just going to waste for one, one night? I just... And so uh, while uh, they're eating, we see um, Lorna um, steal the phones and keys from, from Izzy and Tom's pockets. Um, yeah. She then... Um, does this strange thing where she goes and gets dressed and then comes downstairs with a radio playing Love Shack and makes Tom and Izzy dance around to it and they reminisce. You've skipped the part of, like, she goes upstairs, she stares at a bottle, the bottle of sleeping pills. Yes. And then then comes down and, yeah. They do this Um, weird dance to Love Shack where they reminisce about their student days. Like, yeah, I, I, you know, I genuinely thought a lot of the kind of, like, them just kind of being together and it being nice because all all those three have ever had is drama and here we actually got an insight into why any of these people spent any time with one another the first time i've ever thought oh yeah these people might be friends yeah it's the first time i ever thought oh tom could have loved lorna once and he could love izzy now yeah other than the show telling me that's how he felt i never got it um but yeah and it's you know it feels believable a few drunk friends you know have a dance i don't know why it would be to love shack yeah, I, I guess it's because that's what they danced to when they were students, but even that era doesn't seem to stack up. <laughs> no. no, it's a strange one. Um, but yeah, that's that's what they do. Um, uh, they sort of collapse onto the sofas dramatically, as people only do in fiction. Yeah. Um, uh, Lorna is, is visibly tired, and so she's going to... Um, what she says is, I'm going to go now. Um, and then she goes upstairs Um in the doorway, she tells uh, Tom and Izzy that she loves them, and they sort of laugh it off as her being drunk um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, get her to go to bed. Um, Tom and Izzy sit having quite a tender chat about, you know, how upset they've been recently and how they, you know, want to uh, make things work and be civil to each other. Izzy at that point notices that Lorna said, didn't say I'm going to go to sleep. She said, I'm going to go. 
and she said something definite about I think I would have hated the bowel stuff the most. Yes, yes. And she might use some past tense. Yeah. Yeah. And then also she's left the dishes, which is something Lorna never does. Um, I mean, give a give a girl a night off, is he? I, with the medieval banquet and everything. Yeah, yeah. There's like if she you starts. Know, sure, one surely dish, there are servants to that. <laughs> if she starts one dish, she's gonna be there for hours. Yeah. <laughs> um because there's, there's a point in this where, uh, so Iz, Izzy's worked out what's happened. They, they run up the stairs. Um, Tom obviously hasn't worked out what's happened because he's truly clueless. Um, and, and they get upstairs as, as they realise what's happened um, and they hold Lorna as she passes away. And it's, it's incredibly sad, but partly just because of how awkwardly it's handled and how weirdly operatic and grandiose and sort of Shakespearean, they make it. Like, it takes a bold show to try to romanticise suicide and assisted death in the same scene. And this show does it. And it's very uncomfortable (laughs) to watch. Um, Yeah, so they kind of play it all out as if it was like, Lorna having a last bout of happiness before she does this, like she'd had it planned from when she decided to walk out that morning. She was like, I'm going to make myself feel happy and then this is going to go, which again is a romantic version of assisted death. And she gets to lie on a bed looking peaceful in, you know, a nice um, nightdress and then peacefully go while her friends hold her hand. And it's just not credible. It's just not great. Like I think around the same time, I mean, a little later, there was like a a Julie Walters um, drama about like a short trip to Switzerland, which is all about assisted death. And like I remember seeing the kind of like the scene from that when she takes life, and it's really like it's brutal and it's like real. And you know, again, we talked about we talked about this you know six episodes ago and six episodes before that that they we have moved on in how we portray and discuss suicide but this is you know it's if you remove tom and izzy from the situation which is what lorna intended it is the most like beautiful depiction of something you've ever seen it's this woman laying out on a bed as she slowly goes after a night of happiness and it's just very uncomfortable i think that's the key word i think above all else it's uncomfortable and i think it's because it feels so romanticized and I don't think the show is equipped to deal with a film, deal with a theme this complex in that way. Mm -hmm. And and so it feels like it feels like they've just blundered into it without thinking about it. And as a result, it it doesn't work. And it is a, a disappointing end for a character who has never really been fleshed out in any meaningful way. No. Even though they've been at the centre of at least two major storylines, and yet they don't feel like they've ever been made into a believable person. Yeah, I was trying to figure out, like, because it stuck with me for a while, which I imagine is what they wanted the ending to do, but I don't think it did it in the right way. I've been trying to figure out why I find it so distasteful. And I think it is because they they don't draw a line from what happens at the end of series one to here. You know, at the end of series one, we both we both agreed that, you know, her transition from, you know, having some bad things happen to her to you know, trying to take her own life was not earned by what the show showed us. No. Um, 
And, you know, it was funny because we're recording this on the day that the last episode of Series 1 came out. And I said, I hope Lorna's in Series 2 because I don't want to see her go in such a cheap, unearned way. And then this happened. Um, and, yeah, they just don't draw that line there. They, they don't use that as a starting point to have a conversation about, you know, Lorna's mental health. They go from there to her getting an M- um, a diagnosis for MS, which the show treats as a death sentence. And she, therefore, acts like it's a death sentence. And then it push, pushes her to this action and in the kind of letter that she writes she tries to kind of make a pivot the show tries to make a pivot towards it being you know some people will continue on and i feel like a coward for doing this but i just can't it's not it's not the only thing but it's the last thing and you know people you know people everyone is wired differently everyone's wired you know their own way and there are people people who for things like this it would be an overwhelming situation that leads to drastic action and you know that's where you have interventions and stuff like that but for Lorna they never investigated that at all it was always just one bad thing happens this happens one bad thing happens this happens and that's like you know when you're dealing with a character on a tv show you have to actually spend the time to understand why this is the way it is we never got to know Lorna before any of this no that's the we met her crying on the floor in a wedding dress which is a show saying she is a crazy person it's not saying this lady has emo- is, is, has emotional challenges that she needs to try and overcome. And the challenges that, this, that her story will present to her is why she can't overcome them. There's just too many for her, which is a conversation it never wants to have. Yeah. So because, it, and it happened with, with both of these sort of stories, the way the show portrays it seems to be, oh, well, her, um, her husband's gone off with her best friend. Therefore, of course, she's going to want to kill herself. Mm-hmm. She's got MS, therefore, of course, she's going to want to go and kill herself. And there's no explanation of of how you know how that happens. So it just feels like a narrative device. Yeah, it never feels like a human making a conscious decision based on their own grasp of their own emotions and their own mental health. Yeah, totally. Because in in the real world, you know people who have messy breakups and divorces and stuff like that. And they and some people, you know, they do take you know drastic action, and some people don't. And it's because of how other how people are you know programmed to deal with their emotions, or how they're naturally able to deal with their emotions. And the show never kind of entertains that for a second. And you know, as the show finally says in this one, people live comfortable lives with this condition and manage it and have mild symptoms for the rest of their life you know with a with a like a small reduction in life expectancy you know which isn't great obviously but it is you know manageable but the show never treats it like that it's here's this thing you know anyone who gets a diagnosis is going to want to act this way which like no actually it's Lorna as a person was not equipped for this but why what about her makes her not equipped for it? But the show's just never interested in it. It goes, oh, it, it feels like they could have given that diagnosis to any single character on the show and any single character would have ended up in the same point. Yes. It's, it's not something about Lorna and her emotions that makes her do this. It is the fact that the show gave her a condition that they felt would make her want to kill herself. Yes. And, and it comes down to one of the things with this show, which is, uh, in fact, it, with all shows, which is shows that want to deal with issues well and shows that don't know how to deal with them is sometimes you'll get a show. And this this particular example is the case where they want to talk about the issue, but they and so they just slap it on a character. 
Yeah. Whereas alternatively, you can engage with an issue through a character. So a good example is the um, Kim and Lewis Seddon storyline in series one, where they want to engage with the issue of, of, um, of sexual assault and, and how it might work if it's against a teacher. And in doing that, they utilize Lewis's character and they utilize Kim's, which is Kim favors her career above anything else. So her main concern about speaking out is her fear of how it will affect her career. And so we're exploring the serious issue through the character. Whereas in the case of everything they've done with Lorna, we're exploring the issue because we want to explore the issue. The way in which it relates to her character is never explored. And that's what makes it feel cheap. And what makes it feel in this case a bit unpleasant. It's a, it's a tough note on which to edit. There's an awkward bit halfway through this kind of series of revelations where it cuts from, I think it actually cuts from Lorna's bedroom to Mika and Brett making out on a sofa. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of weird cross-editing in the show that I don't understand um, why they do it. Just tell it, you know, again, the show isn't Game of Thrones. No. I accept that. But like, Game of Thrones always knew when to stop cutting between different storylines and just spend 20, 30 minutes in one setting. This show just doesn't get it. It's like, it's like, all right, we've written these three blocks of things that are going to happen we'll do them all at the same time. Whereas actually, you know, I think this one merits, you know, just standing on its own two feet. But the, the weird, the, like, you know, again, the romanticized thing is, is that she makes Tom and Izzy witness it. And makes like, them powerless by cutting the phone line and putting their phone, mobiles in, in water. It's, it's weird. And it's like, you know, I, I read, I, I did I, a lot of research around this and, you know, we don't, like, it was a historic thing that people used to um, try to talk people out of taking their own life by calling it selfish. We don't call it selfish because it's not selfish act. It's, you know, yes. it's something that a person is taking ownership of themselves. It's something that they don't have control over. It's, but the, that's why I found it so difficult because I wanted to say the, the way they she does it, they present it as the most selfish way you could possibly imagine doing that. And she and almost ma- seems to acknowledge that in her notes. Yeah, it makes it look like a selfish act when, you know, again, attitudes have changed. And I remember growing up with people saying, you know, it, it's selfish to do it. And we don't say that anymore correctly. We don't say it. But like, it was just so great. Like, it's so absent of any feeling or anything else. It's not about Lorna. None of this is about Lorna. No. It's about the issue they wanted to have, and it's about Tom and Izzy. As, as always, Lorna's story gets turned around into how it affects Tom and Izzy. That's absolutely the case. And one of the big issues with Waterloo Road, when it does most serious storylines, and I think this is a good way to kind of segue off it, is that when Waterloo Road does a really serious storyline, they almost always forget it a week later. And, mm-hmm. and so the next time trailer for this episode for example how many new storylines does it throw at you we've got, got... Uh, we've got a religious guy getting involved with the school we've got um lewis seddon and his family setting up a drug lab we've got andrew potentially going off to rwanda we've got three at least major new stories happening right in the the aftermath of what is almost certainly the biggest thing that's happened in the show to date since the end of episode one yeah i utterly um, like, yeah, when they kind of cut to the next time and it was just like this kind of low rent Rochdale breaking bad. And I was like, what yes. is this? And it's just like, I'm so fed up of Lewis Seddon. 
it's just it's like oh here's this chaotic evil of Lewis Seddon coming back in. I just don't I don't have time for it anymore. But yeah, that's where we do, are. I wanted to do a jaunty show, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, I've got you talking about serious issues. Like all the time, every six episodes. <laughs> I don't have the stomach to do. All right, we will do this. If this carries on, we will have this chat or a version of this chat 33 times before the show is finished. Oh, I don't think my nerves can live up to it. That's, that's the run rate they're going at at the moment. Oh, my uh, days. And then I have to go through and edit the discussions to make sure we've not said anything truly objectionable. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, it must be stated that we are not equipped as people to have this serious conversation. Yeah, I know. We, we do it because... It's because there. we're discussing the silly TV show and we have to talk about the big things that happen in the silly the, TV the show. The show wants its audience to have this conversation. We as you know, people, our life experiences not necessarily equip us to have this conversation. No. We, we, you know, as with everything, you know, we're pro-union. We'll parody the union. Yeah. Yeah, we want you to know we're on the right side of this even if we're not quite able to discuss it in as, full, as fully formed as it should be. No, we will try our best. And that is all <laughs> we can do. This show asks you nothing but to try your best in trying to deal with it. <laughs> and so, yes, that's where we leave um, one of the most difficult episodes of Waterloo Road that we've had to discuss. Yeah, I feel like we need... Let's, I go back from my notes if we can find something fun. <laughs> I talk about Brett Tyler. Yeah, I talk about Brett Tyler. <laughs> I love the way that you scanned through your notes and you went, oh, I hope I use the tie bit. That's gold. <laughs> <laughs> It's not necessarily gold. It's just lighter than what we just... Oh, did I use the tie bit? Oh, I can't let them go without the tie bit. I had a like a note about how I refuse to believe this many people took Steph Haydock's A-level French class, but you don't deserve it now. <laughs> they you just don't. wanted to hear the Derriere song again. <laughs> you don't deserve it. Well, yes. I think, I think as sad as it is, we're going to have to play out with Love Shack. <laughs> I don't think she, I think the last time we ended on a serious issue, you played out on a song that was really not quite. I think it was the you played out with some girls episode. Well, um, what we have to do, and I think we tried to do it on that episode, is we have to segue off the awkward topic <laughs> to provide a jumping off point for the jaunty song. Okay. When did Love Shack come out? I don't know. I feel like it's an eighties track. Uh, wasn't there a cover? But the version they play in the in this episode is definitely the B-52's version, which is the original. Okay. Look at me. B-52's, no 1989. Cover. I'm pretty certain the cover was Christina Aguilera, wasn't it? So it's conceivable that that's a song they would have had while they were partying. Yeah, I, I don't doubt the chronology of the song choice. I, you know, for, for that moment, you know, that song works in that moment. I'm just saying that maybe as the outro to what we just discussed, Love Shack does not work. But that, it's almost worse if you play out with something sad. I think we just play out with silence. <laughs> oh God, no, that's way worse. <laughs> Alright, yeah, you, you no, can go for Love Shack. No one would ever listen again. <laughs> What, you think people stay for the outro song? <laughs>